Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Dangerous Thoughts on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. This is another out-of-cycle episode of Dangerous Thoughts that I thought I'd bring you. Um, and we're, we're releasing it out of cycle because it's a timely topic. <clears throat> and uh, I don't want to wait until Wednesday. Earlier, I had the pleasure of speaking with Reed Coverdale. Reed's the host of the Naturalist Capitalist podcast. He also happens to be a trucker. Uh, and I wanted to talk to him about the Freedom Convoy in Canada and the potential for a similar convoy in the United States. Um, but before we start, as a reminder, we have invoked the Emergencies Act here at Unsafe Space, which means you are officially required required to like and subscribe. You're also directed to visit unsafespace.com and support the show. Otherwise, you know, we might have to freeze your bank accounts bank accounts of your friends and family and known associates. It's for your own safety. So uh, thank you for your compliance. Please don't forget to do that. And with that, uh, here's my interview with Reed. I hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you, Lee, for taking the time to talk with talk with me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, man. So uh, you're the host of the, the Naturalist pod, uh, Capitalist podcast, but you're also uh, a trucker. Why don't you uh, tell people a little bit about yourself? How long have you been a trucker? Give people a little bit of background. Uh, sure. I've had my CDL for, I think, nine years right now, uh, nine or 10 years. Um, and I had to get it in order to work on power lines back in New Hampshire, just so I could drive the trucks around. And when I was uh, getting certified for doing that, I realized I really liked driving trucks a lot. And then um, a few years after I left high school, I ended up um, road tripping around the entire country, uh, not for work, just for fun. And I realized I really liked doing that, too. So then I figured, well, why don't I just get paid to travel? So I got a job moving heavy equipment um, based out of Utah now. And I just kind of go all over the western states moving heavy machinery from mines, job sites, uh, equipment depots from the ports, things like that. Cool. So are you, were you in New Hampshire for the free state project at all, or was that just a coincidence? That's a coincidence. And I actually am moving back there this year. I'm moving back in a few months. Um, I I've been a libertarian for a while, but I was born and raised in New Hampshire. And frankly, the free state project wasn't that prevalent until the last two years, in my opinion. Um, like, yeah. I mean, I knew what it was while I lived there, but never heard of it really doing anything until the last couple of years. They've made a lot of big progress because of how insane everything's gotten. Yeah. Yeah. I've only uh, I mean, I knew about I actually voted for Wyoming back in the day when they were voting on states. So I guess oh, okay. I'm a traitor. But uh, <laughs> it's but funny. I, only... I, I had a, I had the guy who's kind of like uh, <laughs> one of the guys on the board, uh, Jeremy Kaufman. I was asking him, why not Wyoming? That was one of the things I asked him one time. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I know Jeremy and I, he's running for some office right now, but I don't remember what it is. U.S. Senate. Uh, I'm going to be working on his campaign when I get back. So cool. He he's also the founder and CEO of Odyssey for people who don't know. Yep. Um, so, well, so why don't you also tell people a little bit about um just because I think a lot of people just don't know any of this, uh, what kind of regulations and government oversight do truckers have, at least in the U.S.? And have they been like, his, like historically, what have they been subject to? And has that been changing? Yeah, so the laws haven't actually changed that much for decades. It's just the enforcement has gotten, um, you know, they've 
been able to target it more with electronic logs and with updated drug testing um, facilities and databases. So uh, I think the most recent big legislative change that happened, you know, aside from ELDs and drug testing capabilities was actually, I don't even remember what decade it was, but back in like the 60s and 70s, the speed limit was 55 miles per hour on a lot of the inter uh, on all the interstates and the truckers couldn't get anywhere in any timely manner. So that's actually where the origin of convoys comes from because the truckers would just group together in like a group of a hundred trucks or something. And they would just fly down the road at like 80 miles per hour. And if you're a cop, how are you going to stop a hundred trucks <laughs> at 80 miles per hour? <laughs> and then you just kind of split off and go wherever you want. But um, I mean, the hours of service have been pretty much the same uh, for a very long time. I don't know when it actually was last changed, but what they've done in the last decade is they've created these electronic log devices that make it so you can't cheat anymore. Um, so even if you weren't going to bend the rules a lot, even if you were going to be pretty strict to the, you know, to the book, it was all paper. So if you were going to be five or 10 minutes over to get to a truck stop, it was no problem. You'd just write that down on your log and you'd be good to go. Now it's electronic, it's GPS. Uh, depending on what type of hookup you have, it can put your truck into limp mode if you go over your hours of service. And um, you, you just can't you can't use common sense anymore. The human element is gone. So if you're one second over your 11 hours of driving, you get a mark on your log. Or if you're in the type of truck that'll put you in derate mode, you know, you get derated and you have to chug along at five miles per hour or whatever until you get to a truck stop. Um, so, I mean, it, it just makes it really hard. You have to either be you know, overly conservative and decide to stop 40 minutes ahead of time because you know that you can't get to the next stop beyond wherever you are because you'll run out of time or you're encouraged to speed and be reckless and try to get there as fast as you can. So it's before your ELD, um, you know, triggers that you've been driving 11 hours. Uh, and then the, the drug testing, there's this new system called the clearinghouse system that has made it hard to get a job somewhere else if you fail a, a drug test. So if you have alcohol in your system or you smoked weed six days earlier and you end up getting drug tested, you used to sort of be able to find a job somewhere else, but now they've created this database that is pretty much all encompassing. So unless you have some company with really um, relaxed standards, it's very hard to get a job. And I think that's taken a, like 80,000 truck drivers off the road in the last couple of years. So, yeah, they've, uh, you know, they, they, they harass you in the way stations. They try to find anything wrong with your truck. Basically, if they don't like you, they'll find something because there's like 200 things they can choose from on your truck to put you out of service with. And if they want to find something, they will. Um, so I don't know. It's a job that gives you a healthy skepticism of law enforcement and the government for sure. How many truckers are uh, independently operating and how many just as a percentage do you think like work for a larger company? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know what the numbers are, but the independent operators and even owner operators are dwindling. It's becoming 
you know, less feasible with the, a lot of it's the insurance now. I mean, I was looking into becoming an independent operator eventually. And, you know, you can make like doing what I wanted to do. You could make like three or $400,000 in a year, but a hundred thousand of it instantly goes to insurance sometimes, <laughs> you know, and then on Jeez. top of that, you got taxes and you've got um, maintenance on the truck. And now with the newer trucks, they require more maintenance. You know, the old trucks would go like a million and a half miles with pretty minimal, uh, you know, upkeep. But now the sensors start dying and the DEF system has issues. And so it's just a huge hassle to keep up with it all. So it's just much easier to become a company driver like I am, just drive as an employee for the guy who pays for all the fuel. And that's the other thing. Fuel is ridiculously expensive right now, too. But uh, he pays for the fuel, pays for the insurance, pays for the registration, the upkeep on all the equipment and everything. So it, I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but it's definitely shifting much more to um, company drivers. All right. So let's uh, let's get into Canada. <laughs> um, sure. I want, I want to talk about why you think this is happening in Canada specifically. So just as a reminder to people, I think it was January 15th that Canada passed the mandate that you need to be uh, vaccinated to get into the country. And I think a week later, the U.S. Um, passed a similar uh, rule. Why are we seeing this in Canadian? Why are we seeing the Canadian truck drivers uh, having this convoy and protesting and not U.S. truck drivers? Well, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little. It sounds like we might be having something happen here shortly. But uh, as far as why it took off in Canada, uh, first of all, Canada has been way more restrictive in general, not just with truck drivers, but with everything. Um, I mean, in the United States, we've got 48 different states down here on the mainland that all have had drastically different approaches to COVID. So if you are in an area that's just been horrible, you can leave. You can go to Texas. You can go to New Hampshire. You can go to Florida. You can go to Utah, where I am. Things aren't bad here. Where in Canada, there's been no outlet. You know, you can't. There, there's no free province project in Canada. You know, there's. Uh, <laughs> they're all pretty universally approaching this the same way, uh, and the restrictions have been crazy. It's been like Manhattan, just all over the country. They had you know, police checking your papers to make sure you had authorization to travel for work. Um, they've had vaccine passports for taking a bus, taking a domestic flight, uh, going to a restaurant, going to a movie theater. I mean, I, I'm not vaccinated at all, wow. and I don't have a vaccine passport, obviously, and I haven't worn a mask in over a year, and that has, and unless I'm on an airplane, and that has had very minimal effect on me. I think I've only been asked to leave one store in that entire time. Um, where in Canada, that's just not the case. I mean, things are so much more um, restricted. And then on top of that, with the law you were talking about with the truckers. So what that was is Canada was requiring anybody going over the border to be vaccinated if they were a port worker or a truck driver. And then the United States passed a law saying if you're a non-United States resident uh, crossing the border into the United States, then you need to be vaccinated. Um, the difference between Canadian truckers and U.S. truckers is there's a much higher percentage of Canadian truck drivers who drive into the United States than American truck drivers that drive into Canada. 
you know, their economy is very dependent on our economy and they are a pretty, pretty big import and export for us, but just um, per capita, it's not even close as far as how dependent on us they are. Uh, but a lot of truck drivers, they drive from Canada down in the United States with a load and then they get a load going back up into the United States. Basically, if you're a trucker in the United States and you're not vaccinated and they say, hey, you have to be vaccinated to go into Canada, you can pretty much choose, oh, well, I'm just not going to go into Canada then. I'm just going to do interstate driving. And then you still got 48 states, a huge amount of land mass. In Canada, like 90% of the um, 90% of the population lives within like 100 miles of the United States border. And then 75% of their exports come to the United States. So putting that restriction on Canadian drivers basically screwed all of them over. You know, you pretty much have to get vaccinated, which the funny thing is like 90% of them were already vaccinated. They're just upset, you know, that you're forcing people to do this. And then with everything that's been going on in, in Canada, um, they started this protest as we're not going to do this to cross the border. And then it turned into actually you need to drop all the mandates across the country um, so I think they were just pushed harder than we were and farther than we were. And they didn't, they, they showed like no pushback the entire time until now, like in the United States, you've kind of seen pushback throughout the last, at least the last year, uh, where in Canada, you really didn't see any of it until finally it just got so ridiculous that they were like, nope, we're done. We're not doing this anymore. So I, I think okay. you would have seen a similar reaction here if that mandate that got thrown out of the Supreme Court had actually passed, you know, if the if they had actually mandated that every company over a hundred employees was forced to vaccinate all their workers, I think you would have seen a lot of chaos. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah, ditto. So the let's talk about the the corporate press narrative here has been that the Freedom Convoy uh, is like this handful of right wingers, uh, and uh, and that a majority of truckers don't support this and. To uh, bolster that narrative, I'm just I just want to read you a few quotes. They get sure. they get quotes from these organizations. So AJ Singh Tour from the is the spokesman for Canada's West Coast Trucking Association. He says they're using our name in the wrong place in the wrong time. Uh, Teamsters Canada, uh, which is supposedly a union that represents 15,000 long haul truck drivers, uh, called the convoy a despicable display of hate led by the political right and shamefully encouraged by elected conservative politicians. And lastly, the president of the Canadian trucking Alliance uh, said these illegal blockades have a, have had a detrimental impact on our members and customers businesses. They've also had a very significant negative impact on our professional driving community. Is this an ap accurate representation you think of how truckers generally feel about the freedom convoy? Not any truckers I know. I mean, everyone I talk to is pretty universally supportive of it. Um, and I, I also, I actually was on Kennedy on Fox News and I made the point that, you know, the reason I think the Democrats and unions are not supportive of this is because it's people trying to take ownership of their own, you know, their, their own lifestyle and their own rights. Like it, Democrats and unions don't really support workers' rights. They support institutions that get to control what workers want to do. Like if you actually want to have your own individual rights and decide how you want to live and how you want to work, then they're not typically supportive of that. Um, 
but yeah, I don't think any trucker or I shouldn't say any trucker. I don't think most truckers would agree with that. I think most truckers are, they're already sick of what we've been put through and then seeing what the guys in Canada have been put through. I don't think anyone who's being honest would criticize them, especially in that way. I mean, the, the smears are ridiculous. If you watch the videos, the idea that it's all a bunch of alt-right neo-Nazis is crazy. It's men, women, children, people of different ethnic backgrounds. They're, you know, setting up bouncy houses and dancing in the snow, flying Canadian flags. They found the one guy with a Confederate flag and, you know, plastered that all over. But I mean, the even the point of that Confederate flag was the idea of secession. It's not some racist, you know, message right. they're trying to push with that. So I don't know. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think I forget who you had on your show, but you had so, someone on your show explaining that the the Quebecois nationalists have adopted the Confederate flag as their symbol just because they want to separate from Canada. It has nothing to do with even the, the U.S. Confederacy, really. Um, yeah, that was Gord so. McGill. He's a Canadian or he, he's, he lives in the United States now, but he's from Canada and he's a truck driver. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a whole different discussion about the Confederate <laughs> flag. But yeah, they definitely are pointing to the idea of secession, not slavery or, you know, white supremacy or anything ridiculous like that. Yeah. Well, we've started to see. So there's a kind of an odd thing that's been happening. With uh, You're seeing that the provinces lift restrictions, whereas Trudeau is kind of gone the other way. Um, and I just the most striking example of a province doing a 180 is I don't know. Have you been paying attention to the Ontario premier, Doug Ford, and what his his kind of 180 that he did on this? I haven't. Honestly, what, what happened? That's right. I'm going to play. I want to play a couple clips for you. I want to play. This is what he said basically like a week, a little little over a week ago. This is the again, this is the premier of Ontario. So let me be as clear as I can. There will be consequences for these actions and they will be severe. We've already started by going after the money funding the illegal occupation. Yesterday, an Ontario court granted our request to freeze the funds from give, send, go for the convoy. Fines for non-compliance will be severe with a maximum penalty of $100,000 and up to a year imprisonment. We will also provide additional authority to consider taking away the personal and commercial licenses of anyone who doesn't comply with these orders. Yeah, so, so I, you know, I have seen that draconian. clip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little, just a little bit draconian. He was, yeah. you know, uh, not even. By the way, I, I just now watching it, what, like the eighth time, I realized he he was saying personal as well as commercial licenses. So that's that's nice. Um, yeah. But here he is, just a few days ago, same guy. You, you can go to, you can go to Costco, you can go to Walmart, you can go shopping. You know, you don't know if the person has a shot beside you or not, but we also know that it doesn't matter if you have one shot or 10 shots, you can catch COVID. See, the prime minister has triple shots, and I, I know hundreds of people with three shots that caught COVID. We just have to be careful. We've got to always make sure we wash our hands and, and move forward. But Colin, we can't stay in this position forever. We got to learn to live with this and get on with our lives. I bet if I asked every single person in this room, do you want these damn masks or do you want them off? They want them off. 
They want to get back to normal. They want to be able to go for dinner with their families. And there's every single person, including myself, knows people that are unvaccinated. You know, sure, there's there's the rebel rousers, and then there's just hardworking people that just don't believe in it. And, and that's their choice. This is about, again, a democracy and freedoms and liberties. And I, I hate as a government telling anyone what to do. We just got to get moving forward and, and get out of this and protect the jobs. <laughs> wow, I hadn't seen that you one. Like that's that? incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I surprised, think... <laughs> to be honest, though. <laughs> the power of polling. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. But that's 100% what this is. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Do you know when Canada has elections across the board? I don't know how it works. Oh, I don't actually know. Uh, I think they do it more often than the U.S., but they can, I know they can also do at any time a vote of no confidence in Trudeau. Um, yeah. which I think is way easier than our impeachment process. It's just like a simple majority, they yank him out. Uh, yeah. so. I mean, I, I've thought for probably two or three months that we were going to see this narrative shift, not just in Canada, but also here, which we are seeing it. I mean, Washington, D.C. is removing its uh, vaccine passport. New York and California are rolling back the mask mandate stuff. So... I think people realize it's just not flying anymore. Um, th they got everything they could out of it. I think, you know, I, I, I'm one of the people that thinks this wasn't really about COVID. I think this was just a stepping stone to try to increase surveillance and set up new of databases course. for tracking us. And I think they realize like, okay, this strategy is running thin. Like this isn't going to work anymore. So they're going to roll it back and then they're going to wait a while and then try something else. So I don't know. This is this isn't surprising to me, but it is hilarious to watch the the one eighties. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, I I do agree with you. That I think it's just like nine eleven, right? They capitalized on nine eleven, got the Patriot Act, TSA, all that kind of stuff going. Um, massively uh, built a huge infrastructure to spy on us, built a surveillance state more than they had in the past. Uh, and then you know I think they probably stopped when they felt like they couldn't get away with it anymore. Snowden revealed a bunch of stuff and they kind of let's let's kind of pivot and <laughs> not keep doing stuff we'll just hang on to what snowden released hope people don't talk about it well you know we'll keep doing that but uh hey here comes another crisis uh we can we can use this for another another reason and i'm sure klaus schwab is trying to figure out what the next thing to use will be uh so trudeau though let's so so this is what the, the 180s have happened in in the you know the the provinces but trudeau uh, Trudeau's kind of gone the other way. So he went in on Monday, he invoked the emergencies act in Canada. They announced they were going to be seizing bank accounts, uh, even of people connected to the truckers that they suspected of funding truckers. Um, I think even retroactively, right? Cause if you gave to give, send to go or whatever, they would go, that might've been a week ago and they'll still go after you. Uh, and They've explicitly said banks will not be held liable uh, if they take steps that you know are reasonable. They you know if if you you have reason to believe that that Reed is a wrong thinker in some way and might have supported truckers, eh, that that's reasonable. You can seize his bank account. Um, and obviously, we saw what looked like a run on the banks, although it was positioned as not a run on the banks in response to that. And then yesterday, we watched the Ottawa Mounties trample an old lady with a walker to death. Trampled her to death. She's dead. Um, and at the same time, they increase their violence and aggression. They're blaming the 
peaceful and passive protesters there, uh, that they're they're violent and they're aggressive. Uh, what do you think happens next? How does this resolve itself? With Trudeau, I don't really see any way out of it the way he's going. I mean, I feel if he were going to save face, he should have done it a week ago and just reversed his position. But he doesn't seem interested in that. And I don't I don't know. I don't think most people buy the media propaganda that's trying to prop him up. You know, I mean, (laughs) even because Fox News doesn't like him at all. And that's a pretty big news source that a lot of people are seeing that everything that's being reported is a lie about the truckers that they're, you know, they're being very peaceful, shoveling their own drive, uh, shoveling the the sidewalks and picking up their own trash and everything. So I don't know, man, I don't know how far he's going to go. I mean, I think, I think him and Biden both like, you know, I'm going to be interested to see how Biden reflects on what Trudeau is doing right now. And, you know, if he's going to react differently because, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I don't understand how you think this is going to work out in your favor long term. So I, I don't know what he'll do. I mean, I, I thought he was going to turn around on this, especially when the provinces started saying, OK, fine, we'll, you know, we'll lift our stuff earlier than we'd planned to. I don't I don't get it. It's just political posturing, but I don't see how he thinks it's going to work for him. Yeah, I mean, it seems he comes across as kind of a petulant, uh, a, a petulant, spoiled child in the in the first place. So I, it might just be, you know, he Arrogance. said no, and he's not going. to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's just like <laughs> I, I don't want to back down. Um, I'm starting. I'm hoping that a lot of the his globalist cronies are kind of going to let him crash and burn here. I don't. I don't think. I think they're afraid of becoming the next Trudeau because I think he is crashing and burning. Um, oh yeah, kind of people who everyone. don't think that they'll sacrifice these people. Like, I mean, th- this is the problem with humanity: is we tend to think it's about these people, like these figures, where they don't give a shit about these figures. Sorry, I, 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 I don't know. Am I allowed to swear on this? By the way, I didn't ask. Fuck yeah, you can swear. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they'll 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 fry him if they have to. They'll fry Fauci. They'll fry they'll fry Biden and Harris if they have to. Like, it's not about these people in these positions of power it's about the overall agenda i think so um yeah i think i think he's done though i can't i can't imagine him recovering from this yeah you're reminding me of something uh kind of uh, not directly related but uh, do you know who yuri besmanov is yeah yuri talked about this in the 80s where you like generally when you have uh socialist type movements that get increasingly, um, you know, increasingly violent or, or just increasingly they gain more and more power. Uh, the, the radicals that, that put them there and even the leaders of the movements, they're the first up against the wall. When, when the final, when finally the socialist utopia is implemented, when finally communism, let's say is implemented or whatever the, the end goal is, the thug that ends up in charge, one of the first thing that he does is, get rid of all of the people who were had power prior. And those are the people who actually helped bring about the revolution in the first place. So uh, right. I, I agree. I, like none of these elites that we think are protected are actually protected um, from the beast there. What's the, what's the JFK quote? They're riding the, the back of the tiger in some sense. Yeah. I mean, I'd say um, that's the case with Jean-Luc Brunel. I think he was, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've seen that yet, but um, like, I don't think they, once anyone's caught, I think they'll 
fry them like that. You know, they'll get rid of them so they can't bring everybody else down. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's a bigger goal in mind than just keeping several people, you know, in charge of uh, state governments or whatever. And, you know, in places right. of prestige. Do you think so? The people on the the right, especially in the last few years, we've seen the BLM protests and the Antifa stuff, and you've seen a lot of people on the right rush to the defense of the police and 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 rushed, you know, back the blue and that kind of stuff. And uh, and now they're seeing the police. Uh, I, this is my own bias, but they're seeing the police for what they are, uh, which is agents of a government, jackbooted agents of a government willing to do whatever they're told to do, regardless of the morality of it. And um, and they're the ones being trampled by Mounties. Do you think that the right is waking up at all to their uh, the, the fact they've been sycophants for agents of evil? Some of them probably, but I don't think so in general. I mean, I remember I was talking to Olivia Rondo about a year ago about the police and it was after January 6th and there was this really short anti-cop sentiment that was kind of spreading throughout the right after that. And I said, just wait, they just got to shoot some black kid or, you know, brutalize some members of Antifa and then the right will love them again. And then sure enough, um, man, what's his name? Who's the kid that the the woman shot in the chest and she thought she was tasing him. What was his oh, name? Oh, I don't there? remember his name. I don't remember his name. But, but anyway, that, that incident happened and there was nothing but instant defense of the police. Like he had a gun charge, you know, and it was like, wait, right. don't you believe in the second amendment? I thought that was like the idea that, you know, we should all, and whenever there's a gun that shows up on the scene at all, if a cop murders somebody because they have a gun, that's the right's first defense. Like, well, he had a gun. What do you expect him to do? It's like, right. Uh, I thought the second amendment was about protecting ourselves from these people that you keep licking the boots of. So I think it's, I, I don't think the left or the right ever realizes that the institution is the problem. They just hate what those institutions are doing sometimes, but they never think to the level of, oh, the problem is that this power structure exists. It's just, why isn't this power structure doing what I want it to do? So I don't know, maybe in Canada, they're maybe they're not as nationalistic up there. I don't really know. But down here, I don't think the right has been divorced from cops. It'll just be the next time the cops are beating up someone they don't like, then they'll be the best again. So, yeah, I thanks for the cynicism. I tend to agree. But. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was a right winger before I became a libertarian. So I know how that mind works. And, you know, most of my friends and family are right wingers. So. I uh, I don't know. It's 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 not from a, an outside looking in perspective. It's you know, it's a it's a lived perspective. So that's just what it's I your lived experience. Yeah, as they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I just I'll shout out a book recommendation that I think Jordan Peterson has has shouted out as well. But uh, there's a book by Christopher Browning, I think is his name called The Ordinary Men, which is about police battalion 101 during World War Two. And um it's it's eye opening, and I think people need to need to remember that just because things sound noble and they might be on your side right now doesn't mean they are not willing to do even ordinary people willing to do uh, just the most atrocious and terrifying things to other human beings if if an authority tells them to.
So, yeah. So, okay. So you're, you're in the libertarian movement. Um, and I've seen normies become kind of increasingly disenfranchised and, uh, depressed about what's going on, kind of confused, uh, what's going on in, in, in the world. And I have a question for you just about, do you think that they are, do you think the left right dichotomy, which I think is false, uh, is falling apart? And do you, do you think that's helpful to the libertarian movement? I mean, do you, do you see more people kind of saying I need some other option? Um, I think we're swinging right. I don't really see the the right left dichotomy falling apart. I think that the left has just overplayed its hand so much that they've weaponized the normies against them. So like three or four years ago, nobody gave a shit about transgender people at all. It was just like, whatever, fine. Some people were a little bit weirded out by it, but it was like, yeah, sure. And now you've got a dude beating all the women on the swim team by 40 seconds and You've got, um, you know, a progressive DA letting out, uh, what was it? it pro- progressive DA in California um, that, or sorry, a progressive judge in California who was sentencing a 27-year-old man to a juvenile women's detention center or something like that. I, I wish I could yes. remember all the details of that. Is that correct? Something like that. that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) the normal people in this country have just had it with that stuff. And so I think that we're just going to see a red wave politically. And we're probably also going to see a a hard swing to the right culturally. And I mean, like banning books and, you know, like not allowing certain songs to be sung. And I can see that happening because I've already seen little rumblings of it. Like Charlie Kirk the other day was saying that Satanists shouldn't have First Amendment rights. I saw that. And yep. it was getting a lot of support from some surprising people. I was like, wow, I didn't think I, I would see you supporting that, but you are. OK, um, so I think that sentiment is growing and I'm kind of terrified because it seems like every time this happens, it gets worse. Like you have like the satanic panic anti-Harry Potter, anti-Muslim evangelical Christians of like the early 2000s. I would say what we have now is a little bit worse than that with like the woke progressive bullshit. But I think it's going to swing back again and it's just going to be even worse. And I would just, you know, to anyone who's watching, you know, just pay attention to what happens when the political capital of one side runs out. The establishment doesn't waste any time and it switches hands and goes to the other side. So in the early 2000s with, you know, the project for new American century, uh, the war in Iraq, the Patriot Act, the war in Afghanistan, um, you know, that was pushed culturally by a lot of right wing Christian conservatives uh, who wanted to get rid of Harry Potter and, you know, cancel the Dixie Chicks and whatever. Like it was that movement behind that. And who was benefiting from that? That was the big banks and weapons manufacturers, the military industrial complex and intelligence agencies. Now, I mean, you see Raytheon putting out ads about how woke they are and how they accept everybody for who they are, whether they're transgender, non-binary, whatever. You see Bill Crystal saying that we can't leave Afghanistan because we need to protect women's rights over there. You see, um, you know, the CIA putting out an ad for some black non-binary woman or something, you know, that like she can yep. 
feel fully representative of her own values working for the CIA or whatever. So you saw <laughs> sorry, that happen. Just, it, values are represented by the CIA. I just yeah, I'm a horrible yeah. person. The idea that like Christian conservative values were what Project for New American Century or you know the war in Iraq really cared about, or that now it's about accepting transgender people or you know non-binary or whatever. It's just ridiculous. Like these people just want to go blow up more people on the other side of the world to make more money, and they'll weaponize whatever religion, whatever culture, whatever um, you know, whatever whatever they can. They'll use it, and so I see them maybe taking advantage of the right again, because the right is going to be very easy to weaponize now because they're angry. Like they lost their jobs. They've had their lives ruined. They've had their families torn apart by this crap. So, you know, I would like them to take their anger out on Fauci and Biden and like the people in government power who should go to prison. But unfortunately, I think this is instead going to be weaponized against your left wing neighbor who fell for this. And you're not going to care what they do to them because they just ruined your life by voting in these people and supporting these policies and, you know, normalizing all this crap. So you're going to be fine if they're going to be like jailing journalists. Like if, you, if you're a right winger and you hear that right now, like we're going to lock up journalists it's like, hell yeah, Don Lemon, you know, Chris right. Cuomo. Like I want to see all these people strung up or whatever. It's going to be very easy to, um, you know, take advantage of that sentiment. And I don't think it's going to end well. I think the same entities are going to be in power and they're just going to use this rage as a vessel to, you know, kind of switch sides and take more power. So I don't think it's like necessarily this great opportunity for libertarians, but I think we need to be at the forefront screaming at people like, no, don't fall for this again. Don't like this is terrible, but this all was possible because of our centralized government system because of the Federal Reserve able to, you know, uh, basically subsidize all this stupidity that's taken place. You know, they bought corporate bonds. They were buying municipal bonds, bailing out cities for being incredibly stupid this whole time. Um, We've been able to print off trillions of dollars to keep these states afloat who decide to keep doing this stuff. If that didn't exist, none of this would have been able to happen, you know. So yep. I don't know. I, I think um, it, it's it's hard as a libertarian to be culturally relevant because it's very easy to just jump into either vein of populism to be left wing or right wing. But I think we can relate to both the left and the right and try to tell them, like, look, guys, this isn't going to go well this time. It didn't go well last time. So let's just stop. Let's you know, the, if you want to wear a mask and have 10 shots like go for it. That's your right. Or if you, you know, if you want your kid to go to a private Catholic school and, you know, be brought up in a very conservative way, that is a hundred percent your right. What you've got to stop doing is trying to take this away from other people or force it onto other people. Like just leave people alone, let them live. Um, And I don't know, like, I don't know how successful it will be, but to me, but that's why I'm part of the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Movement, because I think that message needs to be loud and clear right now that the problem is the system and the fact that we're all trying to control each other's lives instead of our own. But I don't know how optimistic I should be about it taking off. But that's why I'm moving back to New Hampshire, because I've, I've had enough. I've had enough of this pendulum swing and I want to go somewhere where people are trying to create a culture around liberty instead of around being right wing or left wing, I guess. Yeah. 
one of the one of the areas I I see an example of what you're saying is is with respect to schools and the CRT and school stuff because you know I look at this and say well that's the problem with public schools why don't we get rid of them uh, and a lot of people on the right are like no what should the rules be around public schools and it's like no no, no like you're just taking the gun that's pointed at you and wanting to point it at someone else put the gun down uh let's let's talk about dismantling the public school system completely but they have been very resistant to that conversation no one wants to do that they just want to control what the public school system does so yeah um, i mean there's a like i said there's a lot of there's a big appetite for revenge right now yes i mean it would have been hard to talk to republicans three years ago about dismantling public schools but now they want control of it so they can, you know, do everything to their opposition that their opposition's been doing to them over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other frustrating thing just is I've been a, I'll say libertarian, although I'm an ANCAP, but I've been a libertarian minded person for, you know, 20 some odd years at this point. And it's amazing to see uh, the shift, just the word individualism, right? It was, it was this weird liberal thing. Liberals were the individualists and they were wrong. Right. And now it's the conservatives who are like, hey, we're the individualists. And it's the, it's the left that doesn't like individualism. Um, but I'm now also starting to see on the right people saying, well, the whole problem is individualism. They took it too far. Actually, we need. Blah, blah, blah. So it's I, I do see that kind of no one actually <laughs> no one who says individualism actually is willing to ask themselves what that means and then stick by it. Uh, they just kind of use it as a label to justify, you know, when the other side has power and they don't like it, you know, they're all for individualism. So, yeah. um, okay. So let's talk about, uh, the, I know you might not know much about it. I've interviewed, uh, I interviewed the organizers for what's the name of it? Convoy to save America. And I know there's a people's convoy as well. Um, do you know what's going on in the U S is there any rising trucker convoys i don't know the status of either one of those right now i know one of them is going to start in barstow california on the 23rd i think and it's going to washington dc and going to get there sometime early in march but that's really all i know um as a trucker i can say that i don't hear anything about it in the truck stops or over the cb it's not like it's this huge buzz i mean the only reason i know anything about it is because i have social media um, and I've talked to other truckers and they don't know anything about it either. Uh, I just, someone just told me that one of them is coming through Salt Lake city. That's news to me. I got to look into that, oh. but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I'm very worried about it because the, the Canadians have done an incredible job up there, like remaining peaceful, not destroying property, not getting violent and, you know, taking it to where their problem originated. They took it to the capital cities of the provinces and of the country, and they're making life hell for the people who have done this to them as much as possible. Obviously, the ripple effects affect other people like supply chain issues. But the main, uh, you know, the, the main um, offensive moves have been against the government the governments of the provinces and of the country and they've been incredibly explicit and clear about what they want we want you to drop these mandates and we'll go home um right. where we historically have not been very good at any of those things we haven't been targeted we've been very easily tempted into violence and property destruction 
Uh, and when I say we, I just mean Americans in general. But you look at the, I think of the two most recent examples of right wing and left wing protesting Black Lives Matter of 2020 and then January 6th, 2021. Those aren't shining examples of how to do a protest successfully. I don't think either of those things advanced any of the goals that the movements claim to represent. So we haven't seen any nationwide police reform after the BLM movement of 2020. They passed a couple uh, or I don't I don't even remember if Trump signed them, but they had a couple omnibus bills from the Republicans and Democrats that basically didn't do anything, didn't address qualified immunity, no knock raids, civil asset forfeiture, funding of the police from the federal government, militariz militarization of the police. None of that, like none of it was touched at all. Um, and then nothing having to do with election fraud has really you know, take a place either, regardless of what you think about the 2020 election. I'm not one who even buys into the, you know, the hard right version of it. I, I'm kind of in the middle somewhere. But like both of those protests just backfired. And in my opinion, both of those protests were egged on by some sort of law enforcement or federal involvement. Like if you go back and watch videos in 2020, there were these pallets of bricks that were just showing yes. up in the middle of the streets all over the place. Like, what the heck is that all about? And then the Ray Epps thing at, you know, at the Capitol with January 6th. Um, and both in both instances, a ton of people got suckered into it and went for it. You had a lot of bricks thrown through windows. You cannot convince me that every person who threw a brick through a window or lit a building on fire in 2020 was a fed there were a lot of regular people out there who completely fell for it and then the same on january 6th not everyone who went into the capitol building was a fed i think that ray epps probably was and there were probably some other people who were instigating things trying to get people to do that but a lot of regular people went along with it so all that to say like i'm just i whatever ends up happening here i hope it's very targeted i hope the goal is very obvious and very explicitly stated and that it doesn't evolve into something like Occupy Wall Street. You know, that was originally about being upset that the banks got bailed out and then that just turned into like a, a summer camp, you know, on the street there where people were complaining about this, that and the other thing and there was no clear goal anymore. Sort of like what happened with Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, so whatever happens, like let's be... Let's take it to the people who have actually ruined our lives. So if you want to go to D.C., fine. If you live in a state that has a city where the mayor or whoever has instated this crap, then like fine, take it downtown to the capital of that city. What I don't want to see is sudden protests all over the place in Arkansas, in Texas, in New Hampshire, in Utah, in uh, you know, places where none of this stuff exists anymore, because what's your goal? If you're just are you just there to show everyone you're angry or do you actually want something to get done? Because my in my opinion, the whole point of a protest is to exact results from that protest. It, it's not really about whether or not you feel justified because there have been a lot of protests that you could argue were justified or a lot of actions taken by individuals that you could argue were justified. But what was the repercussions of them? Did it actually move things in their direction or did it backfire? And like like January 6th is a great example. Instead of getting some sort of election reform, 
you got more domestic terrorist, anti-domestic terrorist legislation and demonization of right wingers and this constant media hit job against everyone who voted for Trump. That's what you got out of that. Um, so I don't know. I'm just worried. And I hope that we, you know, whoever gets involved in this and wherever it goes, that people are smart about what they're doing and that they have a clear goal in mind and, you know, they don't deviate from that. And if things get violent, like they have in Canada, I would just go, go home and shut your truck off. (laughs) You know, like I I don't understand why you have to be in Ottawa necessarily. Like you could just stop delivering stuff to Ottawa so like here in the United States, if things start getting violent, just stop bringing goods to New York City, stop bringing goods to, you know, L.A. or San Francisco. And if enough people stop delivering stuff to those places, the supply line dries up in like three or four days. And so then you don't have to get arrested for anything. You don't have to lose your license. You don't have to waste a ton of money on diesel sitting downtown in one of these cities, just stop bringing stuff to these cities. And that's kind of, that's what I've said a couple of weeks ago. Like I, I favor boycott. I think that's the way to end this crap here in the United States because they're, it's not universal like it is in Canada. It's several select areas that are still doing it. If you have any control over where you're going, then just stop bringing stuff to those cities and they will be forced to, you know, uh, they'll be forced to evolve and accept the terms of the people who are bringing them all their stuff to survive. So I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine as far as what's going to happen, though, man. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the I you're kind of talking about the boycott. It's kind of like a strike. Almost it's a, it's a form of a strike. Like maybe I'll drive to this city, but not San Francisco, for example. I'll, I'll drive to Utah, but I'm not going to drive to San Francisco. Um the problem, the problem I see is, and this is just a, a huge problem that's been going on for decades, and I don't think it's solvable. That only really works if you've got a large percentage of truckers willing to do that. If it's a, if it's five percent or ten percent, San Francisco doesn't care, um, right. and it doesn't do anything. So, I think you know, if you've got a culture in which roughly fifty percent of the people are for, I mean, we're we're split almost down the middle, right? Like about 50% of the people despise these mandates and about 50% of the people love them. Um, and I'm skeptical of those numbers though. I think more people hate them than are willing to. Admit. I think it's, I think, well, yeah, maybe instead of love them, I'll say going, willing to go along with them, uh, mm-hmm. possibly out of fear of social ostracization. But uh, what are you, um, are you black pilled or white pilled on the, the state of the United States generally? Well, it depends. Like other people, if they had my opinion about what's going to happen, they'd probably call it black pilled, but it's white pilling in a way to me. Like, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be surprised if by the time I die, we're still the same country. You know, it, it seems like things are going to have to drastically change. Um, and I, I think the the narrative that we've been sold forever that secession means there has to be some sort of civil war. I don't think that's true. Like, I think it's the alternative to a war. I think if we stay together forever, uh, you know, 330 million people across like almost 3000 miles of landmass and then Alaska and Hawaii on top of that, all being governed by, you know, the United States government, especially with how um you know, how dysfunctional it's become 
Uh, there's no the Constitution is just a piece of paper at this point. That's funny. Like I've come to the same conclusion as Democrats have with the Constitution. Like it's just a piece of paper. <laughs> They're kind of that was one that they were actually right about, um, unfortunately. Yep. But um, I think if the country is going to remain one a union, then there's going to have to be, you know, a serious respect for the 10th Amendment coming back again. I mean, we're, we're going to have to ditch the commerce clause of the Constitution and we're going to have to really start actually governing each state as it wishes to, as long as it's not violating the Constitution. I mean, that's the only way I can really see us kind of staying together. Otherwise, I think, yeah, you might see some states actually try to secede. Um, but um, I, I think that's good because I kind of want this this government to collapse. I mean, growing up, I always thought like, oh, yeah, the United States has done some things wrong. But in general, like it's been a tool for good. And the more I've learned about history and the more I've learned about what's going on today, I've just realized that's not true. Like <laughs> we haven't been, you know, I mean, I don't think we've done everything wrong, but we've done a lot wrong. And there's just been this blind nationalism that has blinded us on all the horrible things that we've supported in history and still today. Uh, so I would like to see this empire collapse as peacefully as possible. So I don't want a war. I don't want a revolutionary war. I don't want a civil war. I want, you know, I, I basically want the, uh, at this point, I think the monetary system is going to collapse eventually. I think the only reason it's still being upheld is because we are the world reserve currency. And I think the only reason that is, is because of our alliance with Saudi Arabia and they're out, you know, they're kind of, um, their goals align a lot with other countries like Israel that we've allied with in the Middle East. And, you know, we're just doing their bidding. there, blowing up, you know, either supporting the genocide of the Houthis in Yemen or supporting the uh, removal of Palestinians in Israel or, you know, beating Iran up occasionally or going after Assad, the amount we did or going after Libya, you know, like those are all Zionist and, Saudi Arabian goals that we have furthered there. And I think that's kept our favor with the dollar, you know, through the petrodollar, through OPEC, keeping it elevated as the world reserve currency. I think if that goes away and the warfare state finally crumbles, that the United States is going to be in a very different place economically. So I don't know. I'm just hoping it can happen in the most peaceful, least harmful way. And I think in the meantime, the way to do that is to try to get states to take their own power back, which is another reason I'm moving to New Hampshire. They seem to be the state that's most serious about that. And, you know, there, there are Second Amendment sanctuary states. There are, you know, immigration sanctuary cities around the country. There are different areas where they're basically defying the federal government. And I want to see that happen on more and more levels as time goes on. I'd like to see the Defend the Guard legislation get adopted by different states and, you know, maybe eventually we'll have an income tax sanctuary state or something like that. So uh, that's what I'm going to keep pushing for because I do not want to, I do not want to have any more conflict in this country than we need. Yeah. Well said. I mean, I think, uh, I think China and Russia are kind of letting us keep the petrodollar at the moment. And when they decide that they are going to more, more overtly collaborate for an alternate 
currency. I think that'll cause some problems. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm on the same page as you are in, in the sense that I I like the idea I like many of the foundational and I would say the key foundational ideas behind the United States, like philosophically individualism and, and the a priori rights existing, um, you know, before government. Um, but, uh, in, in our short history, I think the more we've become, uh, our powers become centralized more and more. And as that power has become centralized and as that constitution has become more and more just a piece of paper, uh, what the bad that we've done both at home and around the world has just increased um, over time. And to me, what really matters is I don't care if the United States exists. I would like some kind of place with liberty to exist. Yeah. I don't care what it's called. I really don't care how big it is. I'd like it to be bigger than just, you know, my house. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it'd be nice yeah. to have some other people. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's what really matters. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that to the extent that the United States has been special in a good way, historically, uh, it's, it's only to the extent that it adopted the right ideas and lived the right ideas. And when, when it strayed from those, it ceased being anything different than any other nation uh, to the extent that it, that does that. And what, if you want to have any sort of nationalism, this is, I guess, a speech to the people on the right. If you want to have any sort of nationalism about the, or pride about the U S have pride in the ideas uh, and and those founding ideas are what need to continue, not the particular configuration of our bloated government and 50 states and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't that doesn't matter. It's all gravy. Yeah. You know, um, with the with the trucker thing, I think we've realized the amount of power that truckers hold. And because, um, you know, because the, the mandates in Canada have been much more universal and centralized, there's a there's a kind of resonating message behind the truckers there as to why they're opposing this, where that that's what I'm kind of worried about here, that there's not enough of that, that people will understand why it's even happening. But if we could somehow weaponize all the truckers in the United States to, you know, end the Fed or bring the troops home or something, like if we could somehow <laughs> get all the trucker, that maybe that should be the goal is just the end the Fed convoy. Yeah, That's, just yeah. Get, get Scott Horton to go to all the truck stops in the United States and just do anti-war speeches and red pill all the truckers on how bad the wars are. Like, then you'd have a cause right there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be. Uh, I if I had to if I had to choose my cause though, it would be the end of the Fed cause because I think all evil stems from the control of the monetary system. Um, oh yeah, the warfare state everything. would collapse without it. Absolutely. Yeah, incident. Yeah. But uh, I think the anti-war case is easier to make to people, and people's eyes glaze over when you start talking about fiat currency and how the yeah, it's like works. it's a stepping stone. If you can teach them about you know how we created ISIS and how we are backing Saudi Arabia against the Houthis or like whatever, uh, you know, supporting neo Nazis in Ukraine, whatever it is. Then they'll be like, whoa, that's so terrible. How do we stop that? And then you say, well, if we end the Fed, then none of this can happen. And there's all this other stuff that can't happen either. And then they're sold. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scott just sent me his uh, latest book, Enough Already, but I haven't read it yet. Uh, it's on my oh, yeah. it's, it's on my to-do list. But um, yeah, I, I one more thing. Well, I guess before we end, you're just reminding me of one thing. And I have, I have a soft spot in my heart for Occupy Wall Street in the sense that it's the closest movement I've ever seen. It's, or it's the movement that I've seen in my entire life. It's the only movement I've ever seen that got the closest to the problem, which is the problem is 
not a free market in money. The problem is we don't have a free market in money. That's the problem. Yeah. The problem is that we have a Federal Reserve. It is cronyism. And, you know, it's it's the only movement that got kind of close to realizing. And, uh, and and I think it was a missed opportunity um, because it, it, it collapsed into like a anti-capitalist and then a, a kind of a woke mess and and imploded upon itself. But that was the moment for us to explain, yes, you're right. You're right. You're right about this. <laughs> and yeah. here's why this is happening. Here's the real enemy. Uh, but yeah, who knows? We failed. Peter Schiff tried. He was there. Oh, yeah. Them, I, don't know. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, that's that's what I love about Peter Schiff is he'll talk to anybody and try to convince anyone. Like he'll talk to socialists, Republicans, yeah. whatever. And libertarians have an arrogance problem a lot. Like they'll... I remember it really pissed me off on January 6th because that was such an opportunity to reach out to people. And the Libertarian Party put out this uh, newsletter to everybody about how horrible it was and how these people were, you know, destroying our I don't think they used the term temple of democracy, but they they were close. It was hard to distinguish (laughs) from what AOC (laughs) was saying about January 6th. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, who are you trying to appeal to with this message right now? Like who's going to listen to you? Um, so whenever yeah. we see people struggling, like they are now, like libertarian, I mean, I have jumped on this thing going on in Canada like crazy. And I have been a voice of caution for what happens here just because of the reasons I laid out that I think are valid for being worried. Um, but like what, once this happens, I'm going to support the truckers all the way, you know, like whatever happens and, I think, um, you know, even with like the Black Lives Matter stuff that happened in 2020, there was a lot of stuff that was completely wrong about what they were doing. And I, you know, I was um, I was condemning it and I think everyone should have condemned it. But at the same time, that was a great time to jump on police brutality and the problems with our policing system. And I saw a lot of right-leaning libertarians who would just not talk to anyone from that side. They wouldn't try to relate to anyone who was upset about that. So you're obviously going to have big corporate movements like BLM, like the institution BLM and like the Republican party or whatever, but the people who are behind some of these causes, or I shouldn't say behind, but within some of these causes, there are real people who are really struggling and are really upset about the problems within our country. And so don't ignore them, like talk to them and show them why the problem exists. The arrogance of like, oh, you're just noticing this or, oh yeah, you think this is because of whatever and you're wrong. It's like, well, tell them why it's happening then, you know, like actually go talk to them and approach them on their own turf and bring them over. So um, I, that's what libertarians should be doing. That's what I try to do. And, you know, some are better at it than others, but that's what we all should be trying to do. Yeah. I don't think it's a strong point of mine, but I agree with you that it should be. It's something, something, I, something I ought to be doing a better job of. I mean, I will say that the I'm the National Libertarian Party has been a disappointment for as long as I can remember, um, and the only thing that gives me any hope is the Mises Caucus right now. Um, yep. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. They're they're the ones if their Twitter ha- if their Twitter feed is anything to go by, they're the ones who are out there saying what needs to be said. Um, so 
and they're you know, I'm old enough. It, so, so. <laughs> that's the only. Oh, there uh, you go. That's the only thing that's given me hope recently, too. So, so, um, Reed, is there anything I haven't asked you that I really should have asked you that people should know? Hmm. Well, um, let's see. I would say that, um, you know, blue collar people understand a lot of of systemic problems because they see it in their own workplace. They see management or engineers or whoever send them a blueprint of how something is supposed to work. And then in real life, they see it fall apart because they actually have to put the nuts and bolts together and raise the steel, put the structure up, whatever it is. Um, so blue collar people are the ones who I think are the most ready to hear this message and seeing what's happened in Canada and then potentially happening here in the United States soon should be a strong sign that I'm correct about that because you've got the truckers standing up against what's going on. Um, so I, I think blue collar workers have been kind of cast aside as uneducated, stupid, irrelevant to the cause where a lot of them are very smart, A lot, especially truck drivers. Like they have all the time in the world to listen to podcasts or books on tape or whatever. You'd be surprised how many truck drivers are very well read. And there are, there are a lot of idiots too, trust me, in the truck driving industry. But um, the blue collar people, I think, are done being ignored and I think they're just as susceptible to the left-right stuff we were talking about earlier, too. And if, uh, man, if you wanted to create Nazis, like, you had the perfect atmosphere for it over the last 10 years. Like, demonize everybody who agrees with you or disagrees with you as a racist. Um, you know, call them uneducated. Continue to lift up the elite class and, you know, demonize I mean, you see it from, you know, if you're if you're critical of Israel, you're an anti-Semite. If you're critical of Obama, it's because you were a racist. If you were critical of Hillary Clinton, it's because you were a sexist. Um, if you're critical of, you know, I mean, if you want to find out about Epstein, you know, if you want to find out about any of that stuff and you start linking it to the state connections it has, you're also an anti-Semite and you're trying like you're right. <laughs> by by using that deflection for everything, you are creating racists and Nazis. Like you're, you're just going to end up with them. So stop doing that. Like stop alienating the working class. Stop calling them all racist, bigoted, right wingers, because that's what they'll become if you keep, you know, pushing them away and you you don't allow them to question anything surrounding, um, you know, Israel or uh, you know a, a president or. Um, a secretary of state because they're black or because they're a woman or whatever. Like the more you push this racial identity bullshit, the more they'll internalize it over time and you'll end up with the thing you're claiming that you don't want to end up with. So just listen yeah. to the blue collar people, listen to the workers of America. And uh, this goes for libertarians too. Like don't dismiss them because a lot of them voted for Trump. A lot of them voted for Obama and they probably just didn't know about you know, the genocide in Yemen or the, uh, you know, Obama arming ISIS against Assad or whatever. Like those are things they don't know about. So don't hold it against them. 
try to reach out to them and try to show them where the problem actually lies because they'll end up thinking ridiculous things if you know they keep getting pushed and no one tells them the truth yeah yeah well said i think i think people who are in in a blue collar industry have some sort of advantage in that they are can remain grounded they they because they have to do things in reality in physical reality um they can't pretend that two plus two isn't four they can't pretend right. that effects don't have causes like they're dealing with their hands doing real things in the real world and it's you know you can't apply crazy ideology to that and have it work so it kind of keeps them grounded a little bit but at the same time man you tell a bunch of people that uh <laughs> you must be racist either against or for <laughs> this whole group of people if they're in that group what do you think they're going to choose i mean <laughs> and if, if that's what they really believe their options are. Yeah, I, I that's how you get those. That's how you get the Nazis. So uh, we'll read. Look, thank you very much. Remind people uh, where they can find you and uh, and follow you. You have some amazing interviews with a lot of great people. So uh, remind people how they can how they can hear those. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on again. Um, I have a uh, podcast called the naturalist capitalist and you can find that on youtube odyssey spotify apple podcasts and probably some new platforms coming up soon but that's all that's basically what i've got right now uh and i am on twitter as reed coverdale and i'm also on um instagram as reed coverdale i, I have a facebook page I don't use it much uh it doesn't seem to get much traction but i, I have a naturalist capitalist page on Facebook you can also follow. And then I'm also on Gab, Getter, Float, and Locals. So um, basically go to my, uh, I'll have a website coming soon, but uh, for now just go to my Twitter page and find the link tree and you can find every single place that I'm located. Awesome. Thanks. Well, I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Thank you for watching. As a reminder, the Emergencies Act is in effect here at Unsafe Space, so don't forget to go do your duty, subscribe to the channel, visit unsafespace.com to support the show. Uh, all financial supporters get to be part of our Discord community where you can argue with me, yell at me, post memes, do whatever you want to do. Uh, also, don't forget to spread the word by sharing this episode uh, or whatever other unsafe space content you like with your friends, colleagues, random people. Uh, as always, uh, we do love topic suggestions, feedback, and that kind of thing. So uh, please feel free to, to give me that as well. Have a good night. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. 
The content of this production has not been approved by Neil Young. Please consider canceling the responsible parties. Here's a list. Do you know what's fascist? When truckers refuse to deliver products to the ruling class. That's what the dictionary says. I swear. The continued war on drugs will require the distribution of free crack pipes. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice courtesy. Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.